This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host Jen Wilkin and JT English, who is on his second, third, fourth, fifth. What cup of coffee is that, JT? That you've got? I'm not sure, Kyle Walla. I'm not sure. It's like I think no. it's number three. Can we I, not do that? I gotta tell you, the shelf life on that one for me personally is pretty low. Uh, I, uh, like, I are, we, are we thinking like ten episodes? Yeah, I just gotta say. Dr. Bird did me zero favors uh, in uh, that episode, but, uh, you know, that's just how the cookie crumbles sometimes. And, <laughs> oh, my uh, goodness. I mean, you're, you're just a big, fluffy animal. I felt a little guilty because, uh, you know, I feel like name-calling is probably not kind, and in this mm-hmm. case, it does seem that I am able to name-call toward you, whereas if you were to try to name-call toward me, it might not go well. The optics would be bad, so, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a... Uh, I think there's a lot of truth in yeah, what you've just yeah. said. Uh, what I wanted to just say is that I did not mean to diminish Kyle, but rather to point out that Kyle is both adorable and Baptist. That was where I was headed with that. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's what we all think. That's my new Twitter bio, Adorable Baptist, <laughs> Kyle Worley. Uh, so I'll take it, I guess. Well, can, we're. Uh, can, can we call you the Adorable Panda Baptist? Nope, 100% okay. not. Okay. Um, Just trying to sneak it in. Yeah, I think all, like, generally, I would like to avoid all marsupial <laughs> and bear language in reference to me personally. Just as a blanket statement, if we could. I'll, uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll test it out. We'll give it a okay. shot. <laughs> it, I know it seems like a big request for this room, but, uh, well, today we're looking at Romans 10, 14 through 21, and uh, we, last episode we covered 10, 1 through 13, and we uh, wanted to jump in and kind of talk about Romans and the mission of God here. That's why we titled the episode this way. I think it's easy for us to get that Romans is kind of a missionary support letter. Paul has never been to the church in Rome. Uh, he's right. Writing, uh, to them, he's uh, his uh, his apostolic authority is well established, but there do, there does need to be support of the continuance of the Gentile mission. And in Romans ten fourteen through twenty one, uh, before we jump into some of the technical details of Romans eleven, uh, we are getting a bit of an appeal, some context, some commentary on the spread of the gospel. And so we wanted to focus in on that. Um, I've always found that it's very interesting that this passage falls in the scope of Romans nine through eleven. Romans 9, which is very technical in both its historical underpinnings and its doctrine of election and providence, and then Romans 11 being an even further, deeper exploration of some of those historical underpinnings between Israel and the Gentiles. And here in the middle of that, in the flow of the passage, you have what really comes is just a beautiful kind of writing around the spread of the gospel and the hope of salvation. And so I'm going to read Romans 10, 14 through 21 for us, and then we'll just jump in and we'll talk through this passage real quickly. How then will they call on him and whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? 
First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This is Romans 10, 14 through 21. And so, JT, you and I were able to discuss this last episode. Why don't you give us a little bit of the lead up to Romans 10, 14? Just what has he been saying so far in this passage to get us here? Yeah, I think one of the main theological questions that like, let's put ourselves back into that church in Rome and you're sitting there. This is the first time Phoebe shows up with a church from the Apostle Paul. And they've got a couple of questions that they're trying to think through and answer. And and one of them is like, what does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean to be a, a Christ follower? Do I have to be Jewish to do this? Do I have to be Gentile to do this? What does it mean to be a person of faith who's full of the Holy Spirit, obedient to what Christ's commands are? And the second question, as we kind of get into Romans 9 through 11 is, is God faithful to his promises? Sometimes I think the question that we can ask about these te- about these chapters, 9 through 11, can be, who are the people of God? That's not a bad question. The bigger question that I think Paul is asking is not so much, are the Jews the people of God or are Israelites the people of God? The bigger question is, has God been faithful to maintain his covenant to save people for himself? And that's the question that Paul is trying to ask and answer here in this text for, for the church in Rome. Yeah. And why would they, why would that even need to be a question that needs to be answered? Like, well, I mean, why they're fighting? Why? Like, they're, right. they're, so as, I, as I've been preaching this, even at Storyline, like, there's always, not always, but there can be factions in the church. What I, the sense that I don't get about the church in Rome is that there are like deep factions. Like, it's not like there's going to be a first, you know, Presbyterian church of Rome and a first Baptist church of Rome. Like, there's one church there, but there is tension. Like, there is a sense of like, who's going to win this theological conversation about Jew and Gentile relations? And they've been fighting for years, about five or six years before this letter gets there about what it means for them to be faithful. And so right here, like in 9 to 11, this, this, as I preach this, I kind of like want to move through 9 to 11 really, really quickly. But it's also in some sense the heart of what Paul is trying to say. God has been faithful. He's been faithful to you in Jesus. Now the message is to go and proclaim that message about what Jesus has done both to Jews and to Gentiles. And God's faithful to keep his promises. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here in this in this message is this mission is now meant to go forward to Jews who, I mean, you get to the end here, here's, here are the people who God's hands have been open to. They've been disobedient and defiant, and his hands are still open, but also he's grafting in these people who weren't even looking for him. Instead, he revealed himself to him. So this is a message about grace. It's a message about God's hands open to a disobedient and defiant people. It's also a message of God revealing himself to a people who weren't even looking for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. I think it's significant. That's right. Well, I mean, let me ask you, do you think it's fair to say, based on the amount of times in 9 through 11, that he... I mean, I feel like he kind of hammers on the Jews that whatever is happening in the church mm-hmm. at Rome is probably driven more by uh, Jewish commitment to some to an idea than Gentile commitment to an idea. I mean, I'm thinking the Gentiles are just noobs trying to figure out how they fit into the whole thing, and the Jews are probably the <laughs> ones who, because that's what we've seen elsewhere, like in Acts and you know other places in the New Testament. Do you think that, because it feels like he's constantly taking aim at like hardness of heart. He, I was thinking about this morning, I was thinking about how just the idea of how he, he uses Pharaoh's hardness of heart as an example back in chapter nine 
to yeah. he, to Hebrew ears, he's just equated the nation of Israel with Pharaoh. Like he's turned the Exodus narrative in inside out. So I wonder if the main issues that are happening in this church aren't driven by those who would say that they hold the religious upper hand. Yeah. No, I think that there is, I I don't know for sure. Like, I don't know who really is at the steering wheel, so to speak, of the division in Rome and the church in Rome. But it does appear to me that Paul, in the way that he is throughout the rest of his ministry in Acts and the other letters, is being a little bit firmer with the Jewish audience. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's probably in part because Paul is well acquainted with Jewish misunderstandings of Yahweh and his Mm -hmm. mission. Like Paul himself was a faithful, zealous Jew who misunderstood the scope of the Messianic promises. So it makes sense that he would be like, listen, I understand and, you know, I missed it as well. So let me make it really clear to you because Mm. you're obviously missing it. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Hey, that was (laughs) – hang on. Producer Please Brad, do not in. cut Please that sneeze out. We just saw a pan. <laughs> we just saw a panda koala. bear sneeze. Oh. A koala. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, sorry. A, ki- a Kyle koala. <laughs> I do think I. I'm going to move right past that, but I do think that's the no, first recorded sneeze on Knowing Faith. <laughs> it has to be. That's our. That sneeze. No. That's the the uh, original no, sneeze. I remember um, back in season one, coughing to death, and Brad just left it in. Just me over there in the corner coughing. <laughs> We were, a, we, we were a lot looser on our editorial standards <laughs> in season one. Well, I don't know. After the past couple episodes we've put out, uh, somebody did message me and they were like, do you have a NyQuil problem? And I was like, <laughs> I don't. Because, uh, yeah, but anyways. Um, so, but it, it, it does seem like one of the things that Paul is getting at here in verse 13, he's moved out. He's kind of helping them think through this Jewish Gentile question. You know, verse 12, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So listen, the problem, okay, all of you have a problem. You all need salvation. And then verse 14, or verse 13, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then this question, well, how are they even going to call on them if they haven't heard? It's almost right. like Paul is justifying the Gentile ministry. Mm-hmm. Like everyone needs this message of salvation, but how is anyone going to call upon the name of the Lord if they haven't heard it? Well, yeah, that's exactly right, Kyle. And he's, I mean, the Apostle Paul is right. Let's just say that at the beginning, like he's hes right to say there's no distinction. But then what he goes to do in the next paragraph is distinguish them. Like he distinguishes Jew and Gentile. Here, Gentile, I have revealed myself to those who were not asking for me. Who is that? That's the Gentiles. That's right. people who were just not a part of God's people. They're not recipients of God's covenantal promises. They're not looking for me. They're not asking to me. But God has been merciful and gracious to reveal. Christianity is fundamentally a revealed religion. Right. None of us are born with this. We don't get to participate in it. It's not something that's handed down to us. God makes himself known. And one of the most gracious acts that God does is to make himself known, both to Jew and Gentile. But here he's saying Gentile. But then in the next verse, verse 21, he says, so all day long I've held up my hands to a disobedient and defiant people. Is that right. Jews or Gentiles? It's, it's Jews, right? Well, it's both in some sense. Yeah. Like they 
they've been disobedient, but the Jews sure. have been disobedient and defiant to the law and the promises that they have received. Right. And so in some sense here, like he's speaking specifically, this goes back to your question, Jen, is he pounding on the Jews? Yeah. But he's also saying like, but the Gentiles over here weren't recipients of my promises. They were not aware of what I was doing and who I am. And yet, even despite the fact they weren't looking for me or asking for me, I've made myself known to mm-hmm. them. Right. So like the great equalizer, we've said this before, is sin. And that's not just like disobedience. That's also a lack of awareness of what God is doing. That lack of awareness could be just ignorance for the Gentiles. It also could be disobedience and defiance for the Jews. And God is saying to people who've been disobedient and defiant, even though they know my promises and they know my law, or people who are just completely unaware, I'm revealing myself to both of them so that they might be in new covenant or relationship with me, not through Gentile and pagan ways of following gods or through the old Levitical system in, in the Mosaic law, but through Jesus mm-hmm. who has shed his blood for, for, for you so that you might not be disobedient any longer and that you might not be ignorant any longer, but you might know me through the person of Jesus who is my son, who's made me known in covenantal relationship has fulfilled the law on my on, on your behalf so that because I, I sent him to do that and now you can have eternal life in him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And this message of proclamation seems to be a message that's crucial or this mission of proclamation seems to be a mission that's crucial for this saving work, right? I mean, it, it, it seems as if Paul is saying the only way to experience salvation is to hear the good news of the gospel and to receive it. Am I misreading this? Well, and think about how, I mean, really one of the chief sins, so to speak, well, so to speak, one of the chief sins of Israel was that they received the knowledge of God and they kept it. They didn't um, disseminate it. They didn't. Yeah. Uh, while they were they were dispersed, they did not disperse the the message uh, that the Lord had given to them. And so you can see how this call to evangelism is important for the Gentiles, certainly, but also for the Jew who is accustomed to taking the treasures of God and shutting them up from others, um, keeping them for themselves. And I think it's interesting that this point even has to be made, right? Like it feels like a really obvious thing to say. Someone has to say it so that someone can hear it and then someone can obey it. But it's also significant that it's not stated the way that we would say it. We would say someone has to say it so that others can hear it and receive it or respond to it. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that verse 16 says, they have not all obeyed the gospel. I mean, I think if you think about how when, mm-hmm. when Jesus begins his preaching ministry in Matthew, his gospel message is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right. So it's interesting. Yeah, it is, it is interesting. It's an interesting phrasing, isn't it? Like when you share the gospel with someone, is that what you say? That you need to obey the gospel? That's a good question. I think that Paul certainly has, and um, JT and I have both used the same tagline for our sermon series, the gospel is the good news that God saves and God reigns. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason that that is, I think, important is that sometimes we come to the Romans road of the letter to the church in Rome and we experience, we, we really focus exclusively on the good news that God mm-hmm. saves. That's a hundred percent true. It is a crucial part of the good news of the gospel that God mm-hmm. saves. Nobody is denying that. I just want to be very clear. God is 
uh, he's our savior. He saves us. And he does so by grace through faith in Jesus. And Romans is testifying to that. But it's that's not the whole of the gospel. <laughs> the good news is also that God reigns. And so when you think about reigning language as a part of the gospel, then it seems very appropriate to use obedience language as a faithful response to mm-hmm. the gospel, which is that when we think, if we think about faith exclusively as mental assent, then belief will be the only word we think of when we think about faith. Hmm. But if we think about faith as also allegiance mm-hmm. and loyalty or faithfulness to Yahweh, then obedience is very congruent language with a faithful response to the mm-hmm. gospel. Because it's not just, yes, I check yes to the right questions on the theological quiz, but it's that if this is truly the Lord of all, then I need to render allegiance to him. And I think that the usage of Lord language throughout Romans has to be for us read within the historical context of a church that knew there was a Lord in Rome and he demanded fealty. Mm-hmm absolute allegiance and loyalty, Mm -hmm. unwavering. So to say this is the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom Paul refers to him as the Lord all the way throughout Romans, it's being used with a lot of intention Mm -hmm. uh, as not just a proper theological descriptor, but of I think what you're getting at, which is that if Christ is Lord, obedience is part of what must be rendered Mm -hmm. to him, right? Absolutely. Well, and part of what's going on here is Paul, a couple times he mentions it once, but he does it more than once, is he's referring to the story of what's going on with God's people in exile in Babylon and the prophet Isaiah giving them prophecy about what God is continuing to do. So he he mentions in verse, in, in Romans chapter 10, verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Then verse 16, but not all who obey the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So he's he is relying on like the plausibility structure of what God's people of Israel believed about what God is doing in the world. And here they are in exile. This is hundreds of years mm-hmm. ago, way before Paul is writing Randy Romans. What is God doing when God's people are in exile? Is God faithful to his promise? And what would be the good news to a people who are living in exile, separated from God? So I'm actually going to flip there. It's going to take me a second. I, I didn't have it ready. Pardon me. But Isaiah chapter 52, I think, can inform a faithful reading. Not can, it yes. does mm-hmm. inform a faithful reading of what of what God is doing here in, in Romans chapter 10. So I, I won't read all of it, but just a few things. So the verse before chapter 7, verse 6 says this, Therefore my people will know my name. Therefore they will know on that day that I am he who says, here I am. I mean, there's so many like, to use Bible project terminology, like hyperlinks, here I am. I am the Lord. This is, this is Yahweh who says this. Verse 7, this is what Paul quotes in chapter 10. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald who proclaims peace, who brings news of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And he goes on, these are the voices of the watchmen. They lift up their voices. They're shouting for joy together. For every eye will see when the Lord returns to Zion. Be joyful, rejoice in the ruins of Jerusalem. 
Like for Paul, like he has all of this imaginative framework of God's people living in exile, Jerusalem being in ruins, wondering, is God going to be faithful to his promises? And that's the imaginative framework that he's drawing upon, this biblical narrative and story about even in the midst of your exile, even in the midst of despair, God is who he says he is. He reigns. He's going to do exactly what he says he's going to do. And he does it specifically in the person of Jesus. But now there are two peoples who are going to benefit from this. It's the Gentiles who who were ignorant of what God was doing, but God has revealed himself. And it's even to Jews who have been mm-hmm. defiant and disobedient. And Jesus has come to draw them back to what God is doing specifically in the person and work of Jesus. Have you ever wondered what is God's heart towards you? In this noisy world, God's heart beats hard with love and mercy. But how can God share his heart with us when he doesn't have our attention? You're invited to spend 100 days discovering the beautiful, merciful heart of God with Overflowing Mercies, a new devotional by Craig Allen Cooper. The Lord is not ashamed of you or quick-tempered toward your faults. Each one of your weaknesses, faults, frailties, and failures does more to arouse God's love than to stir up His anger. If you could fathom in some small way how warmly God truly feels about you, the faintest grasp of His immeasurable affection would reduce you to tearful wonder and heartfelt gratitude. As God's mercies are new every single morning, overflowing mercies will continue to be a constant well of refreshing comfort, encouragement, and strength. It's perfect for personal quiet times, family and dinner table devotions, and small groups. Let this devotional help you get intentional, stay connected to God, and continue loving others. Order your copy of Overflowing Mercies, 100 Meditations on the Tender Heart of God today at moodypublishers.com or wherever great books are sold. What bridge is God calling you to cross that the gospel might go forth among the nations? Women like Lilius Trotter, Harriet Newell, and Sarah Hall Boardman Judson have indeed crossed their own bridges to get to the lost. Discover the stories of 10 inspiring female missionaries who changed the world for Christ. 10 Women Who Changed the World is seminary president Daniel Aiken's powerful tribute to these women who fulfilled the Great Commission. May we all follow in their footsteps. 10 Women Who Changed the World is available wherever books are sold. That's good. That's good. And that Isaiah 52 callback is crucial because you do get a much more expansive view of the good news. That's right. Mm -hmm. Right? Like the restoration of Israel, the restoration of the kingdom, uh, not just uh, a sense of personal salvation, but of cosmic shalom and peace and order. Those things are crucial. They're aspects of the good news of the gospel. And I think one of the things that I did want to, I didn't want to rush through this passage without treating this for a second, which is that, uh, let me ask you guys this question. Um, No. (laughs) (sighs) Well... (laughs) Just saying. Uh, I don't know. I don't it, know what the question is. Maybe no. The the flow of the, am I am I wrong to read it like those who believe in what they hear mm-hmm. are then sent out as proclaimers of what they have heard? Is that what's is that the flow here? I think so. I mean, a proclaimer here I think has obviously a very broad meaning. And I'd be very I mean, you guys maybe have other readings of this. But as I read it, it has a very broad it doesn't mean like we're all pastors, elders, preachers. You don't have to like have a Bible in front of God's people and open it up and exposit it and preach it or to lead a women's Bible study or a men's Bible study. Some people are gifted in the gift of teaching, but all of us have now been called to proclaim and to be sent out about the good news of Jesus. So even just this 
this past week, like yesterday, we were at, at my church here in Arvada, we were celebrating what Jesus has done for us. We did that through the Lord's Supper. And that means every single person in our church stands to proclaim and to, and to, and to have these beautiful feet of those who are bringing good news that Jesus has brought restoration and peace both to ignorant people and defiant people. And he's the one that now we're saying God is bringing peace, shalom, and restoration in and through him. And so it doesn't matter if you're 11 years old or 91 years old. It doesn't matter if you've gone to seminary or not gone to seminary. You can be a proclaimer, Mm -hmm. like a a, a sent one to make sure that the good news of Jesus is known wherever you are. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and, and that proclamation, I think for Paul and Jen was already kind of hitting on this a little bit, looking back on Israel's calling after the Exodus to be a witness to mm-hmm. the nations. I don't think that the, the message of proclamation and preaching, well, let me, I, I should say it like this. I'm, I've been playing around with this for a little while now. I, I think I actually taught on this way back in the training program, JT, but I'd be curious to get y'all's thoughts on this. I think the method of proclamation, there are sometimes when the emphasis is go and tell in scripture, and there are sometimes where the emphasis is come and see. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a, a dynamic to the mission of God where there are times when it's like come and see the character of God's people. I think about, you don't just see this in the Old Testament, though I think you see it very clearly there. You don't get a very clear go and tell ministry uh, mission given to post-Exodus Israel. You don't. You get a, you're going to go into the land. I want you to behave and walk in my ways. And the nations will see that that testifies to the character of Yahweh and they will be Mm -hmm. drawn to my presence, the temple that's in the midst of you, a house of prayer for the nations. But it's really more of this kind of outside in kind of mission strategy. And Jesus, I think, is referencing this when he tells the disciples, they're going to know you by the love that you have for one Mm -hmm. another. Right, So there's a sense in which there's a come and see aspect of the mission, and then there's a go and tell aspect of the mission, which is more of what we think about oftentimes, I think, is evangelism, mm-hmm. which is more of like mm-hmm. the public proclamation and invitation to receive Christ Jesus. Do you think that is one of those more in view here? Because it does seem to be emphasizing sentness. I think both of them are true broadly, or can both of them be faithful applications of this living with the beautiful feet of those who preach the good news. I don't know. Well, I'm wondering if JT is going to reference back to Pentecost at this point. Like, is this the new thing of the New Testament? The go and tell aspect of it all? Or the new emphasis. I shouldn't say new thing, but is it a new emphasis? Oh, man. (laughs) I don't want to fight today. (laughs) You want to fight every day. (laughs) I don't. I'm trying. I'm just holding myself back. I'm restraining myself. No, I mean, yeah, I don't know if I would call it a new thing, which I know you're not. Like, yeah, this is a this is a thing that God is now doing in Jesus that the imaginative framework of the narrative of the Old Testament is informing for God's people. Mm-hmm. There are Jews and Gentiles who are now participating, but now they both don't participate in separate ways. Mm-hmm. It's not like, okay, now I have to be proselytized or I have to participate in the Levitical law. It's that God's Holy Spirit at Pentecost has descended in the way that we participate is through, as Kyle said earlier, like allegiance, faith, loyalty to King Jesus, his Holy Spirit descending upon us both as individuals and as communities. Those communities are now set up as local churches, embassies of the kingdom of God that now are supposed to be planted. Like this is, it's related to what you're saying, Jen, but I've just been, some one of the things I've been meditating on as I think about preaching through Romans is one of the most faithful apologetics that Athanasius talks about in On the Incarnation is that this God-man who descended and took upon flesh 
is now risen in heaven as the ascended Lord in, in, at Pentecost, but continually. Like Pentecost is a one-time event. It's the first time God's spirit is poured out that way. But it's also now this ongoing event that the church gets to participate in, that we are vivified mm-hmm. to use systematic theology language. We are made new. We are made alive through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and through his ascension and his pouring out. This is what he does in John chapter 20. He breathes the spirit about on his disciples for the first time. Mm -hmm. And now we get to participate in this mission of being sent because we have been full and are being filled by the Holy Spirit that King Jesus is now giving us because he's at the right hand of the Father. Mm -hmm. And so like this is a whole new framework, like Paul drawing on this these Isaiah passages, I was just looking up Isaiah chapter 65, which he also highlights as well. This has to be revolutionary for mm-hmm. them. Like their hope, if the Jews' hope still might be, well, well, God's really going to set up a nation here. Like he's really going to set up a temple. Right. And like maybe we should rebuild a wall again like Ezra and Nehemiah. And Paul is pushing on that and saying, no, this thing is now for you to go and tell so that, to use Kyle, Kyle's language, they would come and see that my spirit is being poured out, not just on Jews, but on all people who proclaim loyalty and allegiance in Jesus. Okay, I want to go biblical theology for just a second. Let's do it. So you have, you know, I'm thinking about the sending out of the 12 in in the Gospels, right? You know, they're supposed to go and proclaim, and he sends about two by two. And there's a parallel there to the sending of the 12 tribes into the promised land to rule, to take it over and subdue it. Right? You would mm-hmm. say that, right? And so yeah. I'm wondering if, you know, in the New Testament, they're using words to set boundary lines, right? Like they're basically um, declaring God's boundary lines when they when we give the gospel. That's something that we do. We say, these are this is how God has ordered the cosmos and repent and believe, right? And so even mm-hmm. though in the Old Testament, you don't see the 12 tribes going in and proselytizing, I think that what is recorded for us in the Old Testament is still the same idea. It's that the knowledge of God goes out into the land of the Gentiles in a way that is proclaiming his character along the same lines that the, that the disciples are going to when they're sent out into, into Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth. Yes? No? I would say that. I mean, Kyle, you probably have a more sophisticated answer, which is why I jumped in before you. But this is to go back to Romans chapter four and then Genesis 12 to 17. I think that's exactly right, Jen. I mean, what does it mean for God's people to be a blessing to the nations through the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their families? It's like this, again, to use Kyle's language, this is not just intellectual assent. It's now through your faith in Yahweh, through your faith in the one who's been covenantally committed to you and has committed himself to you through covenant, that's going to transform your life. And the nations are going to be blessed through that faith that you have so that they might see the character of God and the knowledge of God through your faithful obedience. Kyle's rubbing his head, but before you say something, I just want to ask. So like, let me go back to the, the conquest again, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they they basically go out with the sword, right? And and you could argue that in the New Testament paradigm, the, the sword is the word of God that they're using to go and, you know, sure. and you, the whole powers and principalities thing, like that there, it is, it is warfare, but it is, a, it is of a spiritual nature 
um, that was portrayed in physical terms in the Old Testament. So I'm not, I guess what I'm asking is, is the, is the question of whether it's telling or showing, is that really kind of not even the right question? Isn't it all the same thing? Yeah, maybe it's not. Um, that's what I was thinking about when you brought it up as, you know, so when you think about the conquest period, the, the key thing there is not even just the overthrow of the Canaanite nations. It's the demonstration of God's right. dominion over the whole of right. the world. And with the sending out of the 12 and the gospels, the, the operative thing that he sends them out to do, I mean, when you read Matthew 10, you know, he called to him his 12 disciples. He gave them authority over unclean mm-hmm. spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. It's repeated in verse five through eight, basically proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. And so I think that maybe what we're seeing and maybe why obedience language is used in Romans chapter 10 is that, okay, in the Old Testament, the mission of God was a demonstration of his dominion over the whole Mm -hmm. of the world. Mm -hmm. In the gospel ministry, Jesus sends out the disciples to demonstrate his dominion over the whole of the world. uh, Although the demonstration is primarily Primarily spiritual. Yeah. And then in Romans 10, this kind of call of obedience to the gospel language in terms of the proclamation is a further continuance of that evangelistic call, which is be fruitful, multiply image bearers, cultivate and subdue, extend dominion over the whole of Mm -hmm. the world, Gentiles and Jews alike, even there in Rome. And so Maybe it's not about just word or work. Maybe it's about just the continued proclamation of God's mighty acts and his sovereign power, his lordship over all things. And sometimes the emphasis is on proclamation and sometimes the emphasis is on acts Mm -hmm. of power. But uh, it seems like the consistent thing is to say to the Canaanites in the land or the Jews and Gentiles uh, around Galilee or to the people at the church in Rome, hey, listen up, a new king is here. He's the rightful king and he's establishing his kingdom. And the time of invitation to receive the benefits and blessings of that power is now. So let let me throw out an idea and tell me what you think. Deeds without words is not enough. Conversely, words without deeds is not enough when it comes to the proclamation of the gospel. Like you need them both. Mm -hmm. And then my follow-up question would be, just to make it really practical for, for listeners today who are in their own church setting, of those two, deeds without words or words without deeds, it's important that we recognize which is our primary emphasis in our own space. Like, do we put more emphasis on words than deeds or more emphasis on deeds than words? Because those are those are two errors that you can commit. And I would ask you guys, mm-hmm. let's take a little informal poll. What do you think is the prevailing wrong emphasis in, in the Church of America today? Oh, man. Ooh. Uh, spiritual apathy, spiritual apathy towards both. <laughs> yeah, you can't. No, you can't do that. That's cheating. It's not cheating. I mean, I genuinely believe it. Like, I know I, you believe it. You have to give an answer. <laughs> that wasn't the question she asked. Well, then he's then, a mean little koala. I think if, if, <laughs> <laughs> Eats, shoots, I and think, leaves. I think it's. Am I right? There's no doubt. Um, it seems to me that this would probably be camp specific or tribe specific. That's right. But yep. but I would say that 
If I was answering the question for the narrowly reformed community, I'd say words over works. If I was answering it for the broader evangelical community, I would say works over words. Yeah. Okay. That's how I'd probably answer it. Yeah, I think I think I agree with that. Like I, I, the, the the passage that comes to mind when you ask that question, Jen. And again, like I, I don't want to give up this come and see and go and tell framework mm-hmm. that I think can be helpful. Jesus brings this up in the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking specifically to disciples and how the word's going to go mm-hmm. forward in, in Matthew chapter five. But then he moves. You're the light of the world. You're a city set upon a hill. You're the salt of the earth. Like here's how people are going to know. And so he's again drawing on this imaginative framework of the Old Testament of God's people being set up in Jerusalem. None of the pagan nations have been given God's law. And you're going to live here as a virtuous people. Mm-hmm. You're going to live here so people can see what it's like to be in covenantal relationship with Yahweh. But it's not enough to just First of all, we can't do it. Like they, they don't do it. We don't do it perfectly. So that means they might blaspheme God. They might not understand what God's character is because we still have ongoing sin and besetting sin in our hearts and minds. Therefore, we have to proclaim this message of forgiveness of God coming to those who have been disobedient and God coming to those who are ignorant and revealing himself to them. So like I, it can't be a, an either or. It has to be a both and. And there are parts, I, I, I like Kyle's answer, there's parts of our communities that emphasize one or the other, it can't be. It has to be a both and, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. What about you, Jen? Well, maybe this is just shaped by um, time spent on social media, but I would say that we are in a day and- That's never a good yeah, thing. Yeah, we're in a day and age where we have overestimated the power of words. Um, you know, you think about how there's all of these disembodied words are living out in social media spaces and people cannot restrain themselves from voicing their opinion on X, Y, or Z. They think that actually by putting more words out there, they will influence people who they don't know personally. So I tend to think that in this current moment, like the last five or 10 years, that we have placed an overemphasis on the effectiveness of our words. And I'm not looking to diminish at all what's going on in Romans chapter 10, certainly. Um, But I do think, like, I just have found that anytime I've given a a call to say, hey, what if you waited until your character matched your words? I wouldn't say it that that Mm. bluntly, but your words would have far more impact that people are just like, no, I have to speak. I have to speak, you know? And so whether it's the gospel or anything else, I think that there is an overstated sense of what words can accomplish just currently. And that we need to understand that, yes, we should share the gospel, but 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 that the gospel has its most effectiveness, as we were saying, when it's joined to evidence of character behind it. So it's going to be in, yeah, in those one-to-one one relationships or in your local church or in your community where people know you that your word are going to stick. Well, let's land the plane here on Romans 10 verses 14 through 21. Paul ends this passage with, hey, I asked, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then he is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. So he's telling us, hey, this the way this has played out in Israel's history is, in the history of redemption, is that the promises were given to Israel. Israel had a continual cycle of rejecting those promises, and God has stirred up a gospel awakening among the Gentiles to show Israel basically exactly what the promises fulfilled could look like uh, and what their rejection is rewarded with, which is the absence of the full enjoyment of those things, at least temporary absence until they repent and place faith in Yahweh and the Son of God. So Romans 11 
he ends this way, and then Romans 11 is almost like a whole chapter commentary and exposition of that closing sentiment. So we don't need to really dive into all of it now because in Romans 11, he's going to dive all the way in to talking through this, and that will be... There's a lot to talk about in Romans 11, and we have a short amount of time to cover it. Are you ready to go? Um, I'm looking at the clock right now and how much time we scheduled for this (laughs) next episode we have to record. I just need you to know I'm ready. If you're not ready, you can tell me you're not ready. I'm just telling you I'm ready. Okay. Well, uh, hey, listen, we hope you enjoyed the discussion today. If you're looking for Knowing Faith, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can check us out on patreon.com slash knowingfaith for some behind the scenes and some bonuses and some cool stuff over there. On our next episode, we'll be looking at Romans 11 uh, and really trying to cover almost everything in Romans 11, 1 through 24. So pray for us. Keep us in your, give it, send us your thoughts and prayers. Uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll see you then. Grace and peace. <laughs>